Welcome to Professors Talk Pedagogy, a podcast from the Academy for Teaching and Learning at Baylor University. I'm your host, Christopher Richmond. Professors Talk Pedagogy presents discussions with great professors about pedagogy, curriculum, and learning in order to propel the virtuous cycle of teaching. As we frankly and critically investigate our teaching, we open new lines of inquiry. We engage in conversation with colleagues, and we attune to students' experiences, all of which not only improves our teaching, but enriches and motivates ongoing investigation. And so the cycle continues. Today, our guest is Dr. Michael Parsons, professor and Macon Chair in Religion at Baylor University. Dr. Parsons is a New Testament scholar specializing in the Gospels and the Book of Acts through the lens of rhetoric and literary criticism. Author or editor of over 30 books, Dr. Parsons has served as co-director of a Wabash grant for graduate student teaching. And more recently, Dr. Parsons is a co-principal investigator on another Wabash-funded teaching project focusing on pedagogical practices and faith traditions. We are delighted to have Dr. Parsons on the show to discuss graduate student training in teaching, the implications of religious backgrounds for teaching, and much more. Well, Michael Parsons, thank you for joining the show today. My pleasure. Uh, as our listeners would have heard in the introduction for this show, you are, I think by most accounts, a pretty accomplished scholar in your field of New Testament studies and ancient literature. But it is uh, more rare for someone of that uh, level of accomplishment to be so invested in teaching. Uh, so I'm just curious, how did you begin to get more interested in teaching and training future teachers and looking at teaching from a more critical perspective? Well, that's a good question. Um, when I came to Baylor in 1986, I was a lecturer and I was teaching four sections of survey classes with 85 students each. So between 300 and 340 students per semester. And I did that for three years while I was also trying to revise my dissertation for publication the first year. So I really didn't have a lot of time to think about teaching. Sure. I was writing lectures, giving lectures, revising lectures, and then spare time trying to, to clean up my uh, first book. But at the end of uh, my third year, I took what was then called the Summer Teaching Institute, mm -hmm. which was the predecessor to whatever it's called now. The Summer Faculty Summer Institute. Summer Faculty Baylor, Institute. Yep. And two Baylor legends, Tom Hanks and Bob Baird, were the leaders of that. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I'd ever heard anything about active learning and about teaching from the concrete to the abstract. And we did teaching demos. And so that got me interested in um, pedagogy and becoming better at what I was spending a lot of my time doing. And yeah, so it, it, it launched from there. Did you have any experience as a graduate student uh, in teaching or in teacher training? Uh, we had no teacher training program in my graduate program. Um, but we were, New Testament students were allowed to teach Greek, what we call baby Greek, mm -hmm. which I did my last year while I was writing my dissertation. So I taught a section of uh, introductory Greek in the fall and spring semesters of my last year of graduate work. And then I stayed and taught as a full-time 
instructor for a year before I came to Baylor. Okay. But, but we took a seminar in higher education, but there was really very little focus on teacher training or pedagogy or anything like that yeah. at the time, which I think was pretty typical right. of graduate schools in the early and mid-'80s. So after having a bit of a fire lit by the summer teaching institute experience how did that manifest in your teaching was there a clear trajectory in the way you were approaching your teaching uh yes i i gave up the idea that i was trying to teach the whole old testament or the whole new testament so i gave up the idea of coverage and was more interested in helping students become better readers or reading strategies so that meant spending more time in class and discussion, less time on making sure that we covered everything in the textbook or whatever. So I found that uh, less was more. Yeah. Uh, and that was pretty liberating. And then from the Summer Teaching Institute, <clears throat> developing in class exercises that engaged the students. So I didn't, the first three years, I really just gave lectures Mm -hmm. uh, which is hard to do um, more than that with a class of 85 but um, but you can I did find ways of doing things other than just standing and being the sage on the stage as they say did you find any difficulty in the the teaching preparation work for that teaching a full 4-4 load well, thankfully, at the end of that third year, I was moved to tenure track and went down to a 3-3 teaching right. load, uh, only two of which were survey classes. So that made a, actually made a big difference. But yeah. even then, it, yeah, it was a challenge to, because once you have your lecture notes, then going back and trying to figure out what would you do in the class right. that would engage the students was an entirely different uh, exercise altogether. Yeah. So, but... There were some others in the department who were interested in that. Bill Bellinger uh, would have been one of them. Uh, and we sort of, group of us made up a team and tried things out with each other and yeah. told each other what worked and what didn't work in the classroom. So, yeah. yeah. I know that for many years you've been involved in efforts in the religion department here at Baylor to uh, to focus at least some of the graduate students' experience on teacher training, and I'm actually a beneficiary of that, of, of part of that that work when I was going through the program. So talk about the early stages of that. How did that become something that you particularly got interested in? Um, okay, well, in 2001, I think it was, this was actually student-initiated. We had a couple of graduate students come to Dr. Bellinger, who at that time was the director of graduate studies, and me, and we recruited Dr. Rosalie Beck. So the three of us, and uh, Galen Johnson was one of the students, and we recruited another graduate student. Uh, They came saying, you know, we're graduate students, we're preparing to be teachers, and we have no experience teaching. Right. So, uh, which was true. And up until that point, there'd been sort of a political issue that you had to be Baptist to teach in the religion department. Mm-hmm. And so you had to be Baptist to teach undergraduate students. And I don't know if it was the administration or the upper level leadership in the department or some combination who thought, well, turning graduate students loose on 
first-year students in Bible classes is not a really good idea. Uh, turned out it was a really good idea. So um, the four or five of us met together. We discovered that the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning, uh, Religion and Theology had grants. Yeah. So we applied for a grant, and the centerpiece of that grant was to create a uh, a class for pedagogy. So for the, our graduate students would take this class and we somehow got the administration to agree that students could then teach their own section, uh, which, which they did at the beginning. So Rosalie Beck was the, was the inaugural teacher of this pedagogy class and they in some ways imitated what had gone on in the Summer Teaching Institute in the class. She did some other things with uh, higher education, et cetera. So that started it. It was really student initiated. We got, we got this $50,000 grant um, and we set up this uh, class and then we got permission for students to teach their own class, being observed. So they created kind of a cohort. And that was very successful. And the graduate students who taught as teachers of record often would have uh, higher student evaluations than the full-time faculty because yeah. they had spent a lot of time thinking about what the class right. would be like. So that went on for a few more years. And in 2015, we applied for another uh, Wabash grant called Next Steps. And the... the um, the purpose of that was to help educate our faculty to think about mentoring as being more than a research mentor, but also to mentor in terms of teaching. Mm -hmm. So we we instigated a program. You may have been part of that yep. uh, during that time. Uh, in fact, I think you helped us with some of the interviews that we did. So that had several outcomes, one of which was our students were teaching classes of 65, and when they got jobs, they were going out and teaching classes of 20 or 30. Yeah. So a lot of the things they were learning in the pedagogy class, they weren't able to implement fully in the class of 65. So Well, and I'll, I'll jump in. It's not just because I know this from personal experience. It was not just the, the class numbers, but the physical affordances of the classrooms as well because many of them were bolted down seats that's auditorium right. style yeah yep. it's very difficult group, group to do group work when your your seat is bolted to mm -hmm. the floor so uh, we had a a consultant come in patricia killen uh, who gave us lots of different recommendations one of which was to decrease the size of the student class graduate student class in half which we did so that, that continues now. Students have classes, I think, of 29 or 30. Yep. And they, um, it's, it's been very successful. So Rosalie Beck stepped out of the teaching role uh, of the class, and I took that over for four or five years. Uh, and now uh, Dr. Elise Edwards is the coordinator of the teaching college. It was very successful, and I think some other departments on the campus have um, instituted their own class um, similar to what we do. Yeah. So in those years when you were teaching the graduate colloquy, what uh, what did you take from that experience? Did you change the course much in the years that you were teaching it? Did you experiment? Um, 
Rosalie had spent about a fourth of the class, I think, on issues of higher education and also preparing students to uh, put together a dossier for, for job hunting. Yeah. And we displaced that into some other professional development things and really focused the pedagogy class on preparing to teach these two classes, which is the introduction to Christian scriptures and Christian heritage, yep. with the goal being at the end of that semester, they would have um, a syllabus for each of those two classes. So that was more focused. And the other thing that we did was going back to the Summer Teaching Institute, we did micro-teaching where students taught in front of the other students and got immediate feedback on that. And then we also, they had been doing um, video recording of students while they were teaching and then meeting with them and, and going over it. But um, the last year or two, because of some of the literature I'd been reading in the scholarship on teaching, I'd come across this um, idea of doing rounds, like medical school oh, yeah. students, mm -hmm. where you go around and observe experienced surgeons or whatever. Yeah. So we started doing that. Um, I would arrange with one of our full-time professors for our class of graduate students to come in and observe them teaching. See. And so we'd make our rounds, two or three different classes, and then the person we observed would come in and talk to us about their strategy, why they did this and yeah. didn't do that. So yeah. that, that was an added benefit, I think, to, to the class. And Interesting. It's good. I'm sure you carefully selected those instructors whom you visited, but what do you do in that awkward situation when maybe there's something that did not work or that maybe went against what you were trying to teach that the students then saw? Well, the students, added. when we have the follow-up conversation, would ask, why, why yep. did you do this? And mm -hmm. so most of the time, the professor would say, well, that didn't work that way. Yeah. So, <laughs> right, yeah. But we learn from our failures as much as we do from our successes. Absolutely. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. So you have to have good natured, good humored people involved in it too. Yeah. Yeah. You were mentioning with the Next Steps program that uh, sort of a bedrock of that was the mentor relationship between the faculty and the graduate student focused on teaching. What kind of reactions did you get from faculty? What sort of feedback did you get on that project? Well, it was mixed. I mean, to be honest. Some faculty resisted the notion that being a mentor meant doing more than advising a student on their research and their dissertation. Yeah. But I would say more than not, and, and what was interesting was it was some of the older or more experienced faculty who were most open to the idea of expanding. I thought maybe they would be the most resistant. Yeah. Uh, but it turned out that they were quite open to this idea of, of expanding their their mentoring to the students one of the things that we tried to do and i think it's been partially successful is the idea of co-teaching yeah um so we've had it on the books where a student and a faculty member could co-teach a class together and we during the next steps phase of the Wabash Grant, we actually had that as part of the program. And we had a number of success stories there where student and professor taught together. Uh, that's hard to perpetuate because uh, our system isn't built for team teaching very easily. There are a lot of obstacles for various reasons. So when you co-teach, the student was really doing that um, but not as teacher of record because you can't have two teachers of record in, in the 
Yeah. So we had to kind of finesse our way around. Yeah. How do you get student evaluations for that? Mm-hmm. But it was still, I think, uh, the, the folks who did that, and I, I did it myself two or three times, it's a lot of work. Yep. Because everything's negotiated mm-hmm. when you're teaching with someone else. And, um, but it's also very rewarding. So the students in the class get to see two different people interacting with each other, uh, seeing two different styles of teaching. Yep. And the graduate student gets to learn from the professor and, and vice versa. The professor learns from so that was a I had had experience team teaching because I was in the BIC right back in the er, early 90s where uh where we had a team of eight professors who were teaching together yeah that was a that was a good model for this yeah do you have thoughts both being on the on the end of helping graduate students in their development as teachers and also on the end of like search committees and and the hiring processes of what academy just in general needs to do better for helping graduate students for the you know the, not just the job market to sell themselves as teachers but to be effective teachers when they begin their, their, their roles well the the program where we uh, train graduate students as teachers is a huge step forward as i yeah. said i had nothing like that coming through so i really feel like our graduate students are better prepared to go into the classroom than certainly I was and most of the people, most of my cohorts back in the, back in the day. So I think continuing to do that uh, and finding ways to encourage, as, as, as your academy has done, finding ways to provide opportunities for graduate students to explore the scholarship of teaching, to have more experience cross-disciplinary uh, it makes a difference. I, yeah. mean, I think our students have done well on the job market, as tough as it is, and part of that is because they're encouraged not only to be good researchers, but they to be good teachers, and they have experience with that, and they have documentation for what they've done in their right. class. So it's yeah. it's not just throwing them into the class; it's doing that in a mentored way, so that yep. they're meeting with each other, they're meeting with the professors, they're talking about what worked, what didn't work, what can be done differently, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about the the project that you are. I think on the finishing stages on your faith uh, faith traditions and pedagogy projects, another Wabash funded right. uh, work. Just give us the you know the big picture on this. What were you trying to do? What well, how what how did you go about this work? Well, um, the credit goes to Patricia Killen, whom I mentioned a moment ago when she was here for the. Next Steps Wabash Grant and helping us think about how we could improve what we were doing teaching-wise. We were at lunch, and as we were leaving, she said to me, really out of the blue, have you ever thought about whether or not there's a Baptist pedagogy? Uh huh. And I looked at her and thought, no, that's not something that really ever crossed my mind. And she said, well, I, I have this working hypothesis that the theological heritage of faith-related colleges and universities animates pedagogy in ways that we don't actually recognize. And I thought, that's a really interesting mm-hmm. question. 
So we got a little $5,000 uh, Wabash grant, and we gathered together, and you were part of that as a non-Baptist observer, I yeah, think. Yeah, uh, A group of Baptist professors, and mostly in the religion department. I think I had uh, someone from Truett also. And we engaged, and we brought Bill Leonard, eminent professor of Baptist history, in to, to talk to us about what are the Baptist convictions yeah distinctives and we had this discussion and it turned out that it seemed that there were some commonalities that grew out of our baptist formation that might that were not unique to pedagogy at at a baptist school but would certainly might qualify as distinctive so we took that to the national association of baptist professors of religion and and did the same exercise, which I'll talk about in a moment, uh, at other with, with other Baptist professors at other schools, and some of the same themes uh, began to emerge. For example, when you're thinking about teaching at its best, which was the exercise that we engaged in, one of the things that that was uh, in common for so many was uh, the primacy of the text at hand, whether it's the Bible or some other uh, historic text. Uh, the ideal of sitting around in a circle in a table, engaging in discussion as opposed to a lecture. Um, the value placed on dissent uh-huh. or the person who may, may be disagreeable to the majority opinion and finding ways to, to honor that. Well, Patricia is Roman Catholic, and her bigger project was thinking about do do faith traditions and other traditions uh, have similar effects in terms of shaping or forming uh, our pedagogical practices. So we got another Wabash grant, and this time we invited uh, two professors from four or five different religious traditions. So we had uh, a couple of Lutherans, uh, Roman Catholics, Pentecostals, uh, historically black universities and universities in the AME tradition, Mm -hmm. and Church of Christ. And we met together uh, in 2021 in, in San Antonio, and we went through the same sort of exercises. And turns out that there were some commonalities, as you might imagine, between the Church of Christ uh, on the one hand and uh, Pentecostals on the other, but there were also differences. Yeah. And the Roman Catholics, uh, when when the when the Church of Christ were talking about doing something with the Bible and stuff, that just didn't register with them as the, that would be the place to start with yep. their pedagogical practices. So right, yeah. things began to emerge. Um, both in terms of commonalities and in terms of distinctives. So the last phase is uh, we've asked these folk, they went back to their home institutions and did something similar. Uh, this teaching at its best where you think about yeah. a moment or two when you thought teaching really did uh, become animated and was what you would call it at its very best, specific incidents. And from those we, we listened to them and tried to tease out the values and perhaps even the theological convictions that were underpinning that yeah, yeah. and identifying those. And so that's the, uh, the folks who are writing those up, we're going to publish those um, reflection pieces in an issue in Perspectives and Religious Studies. Yeah. Uh, so 
the idea is, you know, um, religious religiously affiliated institutions, perhaps now more than ever, post COVID, are try, are struggling with how to maintain their identity yeah. in a post Christian world, if that's what we're in, uh, and the two paths that have traditionally been taken have not proven to be all that successful. So on the one hand, this notion that's sometimes called atmospheric, that you just create an environment in which uh, you're Christian, so you're Christian in terms of being hospitable to other people and creating an environment uh, that might sort of fill the place as, as Christian, which is a good thing to do, but often not sustainable over a long period. There's nothing perhaps necessarily distinctive about that. Yeah, On the other yeah. hand, the other path has often been to impose some kind of creedal statement that everybody right. assents to, lifestyle statement or statement of faith, and everybody assents to that, and that's a way to maintain the theological heritage of the institution. That may work well for some religiously affiliated institutions that are uh, accustomed to affirming creeds as part of their yeah. makeup, but for low church or uh, radical reformation or whatever you want to call them where there's not uh, uh, a common creed that can appear to be pretty heavy-handed yeah and um, so that hasn't necessarily worked all that well either this way you're going through pedagogy and you're trying to say some of the distinctions of our tradition emerge in the ways we teach yeah. and maybe we can lift those up even for those who may not belong to our tradition but who are here can see that as being uh, you know a fruitful way forward not not to dismiss either of the other two right. necessarily but a kind of third way that that may may prove to be more fruitful and sustainable down the road to what degree was this project able to suss out differences between institution and individual convictions or was that not really on the radar for this particular project well uh thinking about myself as a lutheran who teaches in a baptist context like what are the what are the productive and and maybe difficult tensions that are right so we didn't get we didn't get to that point i think that might be a next a next step beyond uh we intentionally chose people who identify with the tradition of the institution where they taught yeah uh, but when those persons went back to their institutions uh, and did similar exercises, they did, in some of them, engage folks who either didn't identify with that particular tradition right. or maybe with no tradition. And it still seemed to be productive in the sense that there were shared values. I mean, some of the faculty might not have been comfortable talking about theological commitments or convictions but shared values in terms of the dignity of the individual, et cetera, were things that people resonated with. Sometimes they got, got down below the values into the underlying and animating theological convictions mm -hmm. that they could affirm. Um, Lutherans are a particularly hard nut to crack, <laughs> uh, as you know, because the, insti know this, yes. the institutions uh, vary so greatly mm -hmm. in terms of how they understand their relationship to that tradition. Yep, yep. Uh, so it was at the two Lutheran institutions uh, that I think recruited people who either weren't part of the Lutheran tradition or, or somehow disaffected from it, and yet yep. they still were able to see 
sometimes perhaps reluctantly, oh yeah, that is a value that probably comes out of Lutheran yeah. uh, theology. Yeah. Um, so another step would be how do you, with faculty who don't identify with the tradition that is, is the sponsoring tradition or, or community of the university, how do they uh, become engaged in that? I think would be another uh, question to move to, which we haven't done. We we had kind of a Noah's Ark. We brought two yeah. by two by two <laughs> okay. on. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was partly in an effort to remove part of the individuality. So it was yeah. not just one from each tradition. Yep, we had yep. two. And what do they see coming yeah. in common from institutions that could be Church of Christ, Pepperdine on the one hand, Abilene Christian right. on the other, two very different institutions, and yet there were some commonalities that emerged out of that from those traditions. Yeah, yeah. One of the ways that the the question, I, I guess, maybe in your in your categories of environmental or atmospheric versus sort of creedal, um, it, that that Lutherans have tried to do this is the is the vocation aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see that in a lot of Lutheran colleges, and I think it's spread beyond Lutheranism too because it is a it's a less overt sort of way of kind of digging at some of the bedrock uh, convictions, mm-hmm. uh, certainly of of, um, of Reformation churches, right. yeah. And uh, the the Catholic churches, you probably have encountered this. Uh, not all of them, of course, uh, but the Catholic schools have um, at least a possibility of uh, a rich heritage in Ignatian pedagogy as well so there was some some things that are kind of already baked in what did you learn yeah. about baptists in particular right well right the catholics are further along in this because yep. of mm-hmm. uh, their indebtedness to the jesuits and ignatian yep. uh, pedagogy etc uh, i think with the baptists what we learned is what we always find about baptists it's pretty messy right? <laughs> yeah. so in the classroom if you're if you're honoring the dis, the, the dissenting voice, and uh, you're centering the text over an individual, um, I, I think, and actually, I think it goes back to the Summer Teaching Institute. With this is a question I've mentioned to you before that I'd love to see explored in some way. To what degree Bob Baird and Tom Hanks, both Baptists, uh, who presented a particular way of of thinking about pedagogy, to what degree were those Baptist ideals embedded even in the what has become the ATL in the yeah. Summer Teaching Institute mm-hmm. uh, that has been perpetuated for it? So yeah. it's making clear what has remained inchoate for so long in terms of what is really uh, shaping us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and Bill Leonard was very helpful with, to us in pointing out, well, these are things that are distinctive about, again, it doesn't have to be unique, but the combination of, of uh, convictions does, does uh, result in a, in a distinctive kind of pedagogy that is lifted up as, as being successful or effective or teaching at its best, as it were. What really excites me about this work, well, a lot of things do, but one of the things that really excites me about this work is that it seems to have a promise for helping instructors construct a more coherent philosophy of teaching. And especially if you're going to teach at a school in your faith tradition or you're applying to school in your faith tradition, you could incorporate that kind of language into your teaching philosophy statement in a way that's 
that really sets it apart from all the other ones they're going to read where everyone wants to do student-centered this and critical right. thinking that, you know, but to really sort of bring bring my own history, bring our tradition into how we teach in an organic way. Yes. I mean, as you know, and you've read a lot of them, teaching philosophies can be pretty vapid, I mean, yeah. in terms of uh, what you say. So one of the other pieces that undergirds uh, what Patricia and I have been doing is this notion of a signature pedagogy, mm-hmm. which, which, as you know, Christopher, uh, emerged out of professional schools. So you go to a medical school, and there's a particular way medical students for generations have been trained, one of which includes uh, you know, the daily round. Yeah. The, in, in the hospital training, so you're dealing with the rotations, mm-hmm. et cetera, regardless of where you are. So there are law schools, recitation, et cetera. Yep. So there are signature pedagogies. And so that growing out of professional schools has been explored in the humanities. Is there such a thing as a signature pedagogy for a church-related or faith-related institution? Yeah. If you could articulate that in a teaching philosophy, uh, this is a signature pedagogy that fits within the mission of this particular institution, <clears throat> then I think you'd really uh, go a long way to s- helping an institution or a search committee see your fit to that mission yeah. because you're able to speak to that language. And it has a lot of benefits. I mean, I think administrators would like to have faculty who can articulate the distinctives of that school's mission in ways that are attractive and compelling in the classroom Mm -hmm. as opposed to you know uh, just a PR campaign right yeah how has this work affected your own view of your own teaching or been infused into your own practice well it it has made me more self-reflective about what I do and why I do it and so uh, I've been teaching 37 years I've been teaching some form of the introductory gen ed class all those all those years. I, I now find my, this semester I'm teaching a section. I find myself spending an hour or two going over material that I've taught for a very long time, thinking about is there a better way of yeah. introducing this or engaging the students. So I think, and that is one of the things about uh, Patricia that I, I uh, value so much is she is very self-reflective in terms of uh, why, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. And so I think I've become more intentional about that in terms of, of. so today, for example, I, I just came from teaching the Psalms. In the past, I've lectured on the Psalms. Today, we did a worksheet, spent the entire class going through the worksheet, and then at the end, we came back and talked about, yep. what, what, about the Psalms yep. in terms of how they form and setting, about the canonical shape. And so that was a very different way I, I probably, the only thing I lectured about was uh, Bruce Springsteen's Into the Fire <laughs> and put it in the setting of 9-11. Okay. Then. And then we went from there mm-hmm. to form and setting for the different Thinking about context and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, that's the only way I think you can, you can really maintain the joy of teaching for that long is to be willing to just always look at it critically and to try something new and it's not gonna always work every class period or every semester but it's it sort of keeps the keeps the excitement about it alive well and you know we we talk a lot about being student oriented student centered there comes a point where you know the material 
well enough. And it, and, but it does change given the composition of the, each each semester's class. Yep. And being more attentive to who those students are, uh, I think, is uh, a real benefit for keeping the 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 spark and the teaching alive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what's on the horizon for you when it comes to teaching and teacher training and that kind of thing? Well, um, I'm not teaching the teaching pedagogy class uh, again. We are now working on trying to pull these essays together into the uh, into the issue. We've done a couple of uh, workshops and some uh, panels on that. Uh, I'm looking forward to in the next year or so team teaching again, which okay. I, with a grad student. With a grad student, because yeah. uh, COVID, you know, threw a wrinkle into everything. Yeah. Um, I did learn how to do things on Canvas I didn't know were possible. <laughs> You're not and, the only one. <laughs> and uh, and I now have my course in modules, which yes. you know, which is very neatly packaged. Mm -hmm. uh, but I am looking forward to uh, doing some team teaching with a graduate student and and seeing where that goes yeah. in the next year or so. Fantastic. Well, Michael Parsons, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight. Our thanks again to Dr. Michael Parsons for speaking with us today. In this episode's show notes, you'll find links to the Wabash Center, which has supported much of Dr. Parsons' pedagogical work, and a piece by Lee Shulman on signature pedagogies. That's our show. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for Professors Talk Pedagogy.